You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Isn't that great worship? Let's thank Scott for coming out again. That was great. Thank you, Scott. And before we, uh, we get into our study, I, I know that you've been following the news and what's going on in Afghanistan and as I have. Can we just pray for those folks over there right now? Lord, thank you for um, this gathering where we, we are safe. We're in a sanctuary. We're with others that know you and love you. And uh, Lord, for the most part, we have, you know, great homes to go home to and food. And we're not dealing with just the craziness that we see happening in Afghanistan right now. We know that that nation was, as far as the Christian population, was a growing population. And many of them right now are dealing with fear we might not ever, ever even experience. And we just, we pray for those and, and the others that are in harm's way that stood with um, our nation over the last 20 years. And we know that... Uh, you can make a way. Lord, keep them safe and calm their fears and use this to draw them closer to you. And may they experience you in a very tangible way as their comfort and their peace, their hope and their salvation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn our Bibles over to John chapter 15. We are this summer going through... um, some of the parables of Jesus, and John 15 uh, is one of those, although the word parable is not used in the Gospel of John, there are many stories that Jesus gives without saying or having it prefaced that he spoke in a parable, but nonetheless, he uses some metaphors, some illustrations, and some stories as he wants to communicate a point, and he he simplifies. How many of you guys like teaching when it's simple, when it's simplified? I, I do. Um, and I like illustrations because I'm a visual learner. And I think Jesus is a great role model as a teacher. And I think he, he really cared to the point of speaking in terms and speaking in ways that would relate to his audience so they would understand the principles that um, he's trying to convey, the lessons that he's trying to convey. And so here in this, you know, just eight verses, just kind of a short thing. It goes a little bit farther, but we're going to look at the first eight verses. Um, he's really wanting to convey this idea of a relationship, the kind of relationship that, that his followers or believers are to have with him. And, and really, he breaks it down in terms where you would understand his role in the relationship, and you would clearly understand our role in that relationship. And so when, when we read these parables or these stories that Jesus gives us, we've got to understand he does so um, so that we would identify with them. Parables are not supposed to be just interpreted, like, okay, I understand that now. No, they're to be experienced. As you read it, just understand there's like a call to respond. And that's the idea. So let's read through this and we'll break it apart. In verse 1, 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. They're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Now, you guys know, as I teach the New Testament, I like, to, I like to use this phrase. Let's put our feet into the sandals of the disciples. I wear sandals all the time, so I'm very accustomed to that. But what was it like to walk with Jesus? As you get to John 15, you're coming more to the closing weeks of his life. You're, you're in the city of Jerusalem. You're, you're walking with him. It could be the daytime. It could be the nighttime. He could be walking maybe outside the temple area, the, the, the temple corridor area, the temple mount, as we would call it. And some of the surrounding valleys might have had some vineyards that he was just looking at as he was walking with the disciples and just just saying, now this is a good, this is a good time to bring this, this thing that I want them to understand about us to light. Could have been that he was walking by the temple itself on the, the gate that the door, excuse me, that leads into the temple. There was this ornate vine that was grafted, and 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 Herod was very instrumental in helping them actually um, build this and and make it so ornate. The, the vines would have been solid gold. The, the leaves would have been solid gold, but they said that the, the fruit that would represent the grapes were actually jewels that they added to it over time. Now imagine walking by that. How could you not be drawn to that? How could you not you know, see that? Especially if it was at night and you had some of the torches around the temple just kind of reflecting that beauty. The grapevine was a symbol of national life. The disciples would have heard Jesus say a couple of things here that would have got their attention. One, just saying that he is a vine, they would have, well, now wait a minute, what is he trying to say here? But these Jewish men would have known that it is, as a vine, a symbol or a national symbol of, symbol of the national life. Isaiah 5-7 says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the gardens of his delight. Even on their, their coins, there was the, the emblem of a vine. Their regard for the vine would be the same as our regard for stars and stripes. It was just this idea of, 
of, of what they were, the nation that they were part of. Whatever it was that sparked Jesus to say this, he says to them, guys, I am the vine. Now, when you go through the Gospel of John, for you note takers, John's main goal in writing the gospel is to present the deity of Jesus. And so there's, there's a, a number of things he does to communicate that. Number one, he, he shows these miracles, eight to nine of them, that show Jesus doing things that only God can do. And so the idea is at the end of the letter, he's like, I could have written many other things that would fill up the volumes of libraries throughout the world, but I write these things to you that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Christos, that he's the Son of God, that he's deity, and that you may have life, and the word he uses is zoe, which is spiritual life and eternal life in his name. So I'm, I'm writing this letter, inspired by God, of course, but writing this letter so that you guys would see who Jesus is, that he is God, that he is the Savior of the world. Now the question is, does Jesus make Claim. Does he make claims that, well, he says that he is God? Well, he does. And in seven instances throughout the Gospel of John, he uses this term, I am. I am. And that's why in some of your Bibles, it's capitalized. Now, when you, you begin to you know, you know, break all of that down, the I am's in the, in the Gospel of John, it kind of goes back to what we read in the Old Testament out of Exodus chapter 3 where God was revealing himself to Moses and he says, I am who I am. In the Hebrew, um, if you were to pronounce that, it would be Ihye. It's the name that, that, that Jews most accept as a description of the self-existent, all-eternal God. As you move forward towards the New Testament era, you would have the interpretation of what we have written down in the Hebrew, you would have it written in Greek. The Hebrews, when they would write the name of God, they, of course, would only use, they wouldn't use vowels, so it'd be the Y-H-W-H. You might even say Yahweh is the idea. They would maybe pronounce it that way. In the, in the Greek, the idea behind I am, in the Greek it would be this word, tetragrammaton. And what it meant is the four letters. When you broke that down into the Latin, it was Jehovah. It was a way of Jesus saying, I am the self-existent, all-eternal God. And seven times in the Gospel of John, you can look for them, they're capitalized, and he's using the tetragrammaton to communicate that, to convey that. He wants us to know that he is God. Now, when he says, I am the vine, it's an amazing picture of what Jesus wants in a relationship with his followers. So again, knowing the symbolism of the vine, the statement would have grabbed the disciples attention. It was God's desire all along that, that his chosen people would be his people, but not just like, hey, those are my people. He wanted them to be his people so that he would produce something through them. 
Ultimately, the, the most amazing thing he would ever produce through them would be his son. He would be producing a Messiah through the line of those people. But when you look at them as far as followers of God, as the people of God, he wanted to produce life, spiritual life. He wanted to produce spiritual fruit through them. In Jeremiah, there's a passage in Jeremiah that talks about God's desire for this. Then he, he looks at the nation of Israel at that particular point in time in history, and he's like, but that is not the case. In Jeremiah 2, verse 21, God called Israel a degenerate plant or a deteriorating plant. He says, yet I had planted you a noble vine, an interesting term, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? In the days of Hosea, God called Israel an empty vine. Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself in Hosea chapter 10.1. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. According to the bounty of his land, they have embellished his sacred pillars. There were seasons of fruit. There, was, there, was, there, were, there were those times when they were fruitful. But by and large, they time and time again would forsake God and become that empty, fruitless vine, that degenerate plant that Jeremiah talks about. Now, as Jesus is walking on the earth, one might say, how did he assess the spiritual condition of the nation when he walked on this earth? Well, many times we read throughout the scriptures, he was concerned about the spiritual state of the nation, nation of Israel. They bore something, but they bore fruit of the flesh. They were, they were caught up in their religion. They were caught up in self-righteousness, as we've talked about many times in our Sunday morning studies through the book of Acts. As we look at, at the religious establishment, we talked about that. It, it was a, a movement that moved away from what God desired them to be, what God desired in a relationship, and it became this legal thing, this laborious thing that man basically, you know, developed over time to get people to follow man. So if you were to say, what was the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel when the, the disciples were walking with Jesus in those three and a half years, you would have to say, it was dead. It was dead. So... At this time, Jesus says to them, I am the vine. He says this to guys that would have known Israel is pictured as a vine that is meant to produce fruit. Well, Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of that symbol. It's not Judaism. The true vine is what he says here. The genuine, authentic in contrast to the empty vine, the degenerate plant that the nation had become as he looked at them and saw no spiritual fruit. We, we saw that again in the final week of Jesus as he walked on the earth when he cursed the fig tree. Again, the fig tree was a, a, a picture or a representation of the nation of Israel. And that fig tree that he cursed and it withered and died at that time should have had some fruit. It had leaves, 
but it had no fruit. And so Jesus here is wanting to kind of lay the groundwork, and he's wanting the disciples, these guys who are going to carry the mantle for him, they're going to carry the message forward once he ascends into heaven. He's wanting them to understand what's missing with these with, with, the, with, the, with the people of God, with the nation itself, what he desires, but it's not there. He is the only source of spiritual life. He is the only source of life connected to God. There is no branch connected to God that is not connected to God through the true vine Jesus. You are not going to connect to the Father through Judaism. You are not going to connect to the Father through religion, through legalism, through the isms I like to talk about of man. You're not going to connect through works. You're not going to connect through personal merit. You're not going to connect by man or any religious movements of man. He talks about branches. We see two kinds of branches here, the fruitless branch and then the one that bears fruit. Of itself, a branch would be weak. It would be useless. It is good for either burning or bearing. The branch cannot produce life in and of itself. It must draw life from the vine. Divine sap is only found in the veins of Jesus. If I am born again, if I am abiding in Christ, if I am connected to him, divine sap runs in me. Do you get that picture? If I am not connected to him, then no divine sap runs in me. There are many images of Christ and the believer given in scripture that emphasize this concept of our being connected. We are the body and its many members. He's the head. We are the bride. He is the groom. We are the sheep. He's the shepherd. A member of the body cut off from the body would die. The marriage creates a union. But it takes daily love and daily devotion and daily commitment to maintain that communion. How many of you guys know that the Christian life is alive? It should be, right? It takes cultivation. You cannot put the Christian life on autopilot. The fruitless branch is the one that has a connection with Jesus, but it's this outward thing. It's a superficial thing. They, they may have went forward at, at one of the invitations that we give in churches like ours, they may have an outward profession, but there's really nothing about them that evidences spiritual life. The fruitless branch even entwines and mingles with the vine, but you look at them and there's no budding, there's no flowering, there's no sign of fruit. At, at Beth, just, just kind of some sporadic leaves. If you were to crack open a uh, a fruitless branch, it would be without sap. It would be brittle. There's no evidence of life. 
fruit is the evidence of life. The good branch, it grows, it extends upward and, and outward. Each day you, you would notice, or over time, over a few days, you would look at it, you would notice the growth. You might even see buds. You might see you know, healthier leaves, larger leaves, offshoots of other branches beginning to, to, to grow and extend. And, and when it's, it's time for it to begin to, to leaf, it would begin to show some healthy leaves. When it's time for it to, to flower, you would see it flower. When those flowers begin to turn to fruit, you would look at the fruit and go, that is a very healthy branch. It's connected to a very healthy vine. Where there is fruit, there's life. Where there's no fruit, there's no life. There's a couple of things that Jesus promises to do with the branches. If you're fruitless, he's like, you're thrown away. If you're fruitful, and I want to focus a bit more on this, you are pruned. And pruning takes place by the vine dresser. What does he say in verse 1? My father is the vine dresser. He's the one that tends the vine the gardener. He's the one who takes care of the vine. He's the one that would prepare the soil. He would even plant the vines. As they're coming up, he would train the vines. And then he would prune when it's necessary. Now, as we look at this, we can apply this to our lives individually, and we can apply this to our lives corporately as a church. We're going to consider both aspects of this. But I think it's safe to say that whether it's a church or whether it's you or me as an individual, none of us likes the pruning process. We don't like to go through the, the God-altering processes of our life that involve hardship. We just don't like it. I don't think I've woke up any morning and said, Lord, you know, I just really would like you to cut deep today. Would you just take me through a season? I'd like to get... You know, the pruning thing, go and break it out, and, and, and may it, it never end. I, you know, we don't go there. But pruning is necessary. It's a necessary part of, of shaping and molding and, and accommodating further growth. It might be painful, but it's absolutely productive. And a vine that is not pruned will become a very unruly, unhealthy, and unproductive vine. Think of that again. A vine that is not pruned is going to become very unruly, unhealthy, and unproductive. If there's something in our life that is detrimental to our spiritual growth, our father, the vine dresser, is going to see that. And the goal for you, the goal for me, is spiritual growth. And so he's going to deal with whatever he sees in our life that would impede that spiritual growth. He loves us so much that he wants us to reach our full potential. And he's not afraid to pull out the pruning instruments. He might use the instruments of discipline. Hebrews tells us that Discipline is one of the proofs that we belong to the Father. If you weren't God's child, he wouldn't prune you through discipline. As a parent, 
You don't discipline your neighbor's children. Maybe sometimes you want to, but, you know, we don't do that. But we absolutely should be, if we're raising our children in the ways of the Lord, disciplining our children. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So the vine's health is directly proportionate to the father's pruning. A grapevine will never produce anyone near, anywhere near its potential without being pruned. Grape growers are viticulturalists. And they see several stages in pruning. And years ago, I read a whole book on this, and I, I carried some of the notes forward. But in that book, it was talking about the pruning stages. And they said, and I quote, there is pinching to remove the growing tip so it will not grow too rapidly. There's topping when a foot or two of the new growth is removed to prevent the loss of entire shoot. There's thinning, thinning out the vine, thinning out the grape clusters, enabling the rest of the branch to bear more fruit of better quality. And then there's the cutting of the way of the suckers, which gives more nourishment to the whole plant. I thought that was interesting. All pruning is a drastic process. To the uneducated, they would watch the pruning of a vine, they would go, that's a little extreme. But to a viticulturalist, they'd be like, no, 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 this is absolutely necessary. We've got to cut deep and hard. To the experienced, they know it's the only way you're going to experience healthy, delicious fruit. The same is true in the Christian life. Pruning hurts. David would say in Psalm 119, 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Psalm 119 says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Sometimes the need of pruning comes because of sin. Other times it's simply because we are bearing abundant fruit and God wants us to bear more. Whatever the reason for pruning might be, our natural selves always want to escape it. Nevertheless, God prunes. And the results of God's pruning will be beneficial for us and for him and for others. Afflictions would only stop if they were useless. And that is why they never stop. Pruning would stop in our life if it was useless. That's why he never stops. James 1, verse 2. I like this in the Living Bible. I don't quote a lot of that, but this really captured it. It says, Dear brothers, if your life is full of difficulties and temptations, then be happy. For when the way is rough... Your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And don't try to squirm out of your problems. I do like that part of the translation. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you'll be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. Sometimes we question God. 
when he's pruning us. We don't like it. We don't like the circumstances. And when we don't like circumstances as Christians, sometimes we, we draw these questions about God. Our eyes were just on the circumstances. Maybe we're overwhelmed by the circumstances. And, and, and sometimes you might even wonder, God, are you there? But understand something. A viticulturalist is never closer to the vine. He's never closer to the, his vine and his branches than when he's pruning them. Even though the pain might overshadow sometimes the reality of God's presence, he's there. He's closer than ever. He's pruning may pain us, but it will never harm us. When the gardener does his pruning well, he leaves little more than the vine. If you've ever seen a vineyard that's been pruned, right after pruning, you're like, there's hardly any branches. He has just cut that thing clean. After a deep pruning, you see lots of, a lot less branches. But guess what you see more of? More of the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. So the more we are pruned, the more of Christ there is to be seen in our lives. This is true whenever God prunes a life or prunes a church. I don't know how long you've come to our church. I don't know how long you've been to churches, but if you've been around our church or around any other church over the last 16 months, one might say, I think we've been in a pruning season, corporately. I believe that the Lord pulled out the shears of a pandemic and began to prune away the church across the globe. I really do. We often talked here as leaders when we just saw an exodus of people through a pandemic. We began to talk to people and, and just saw the change in their heart. As leaders, we talked, and as we were still kind of meeting and doing ministry in the early parts of last year, one thing we said more than anything other is the, the people that were around here is, we feel God's presence more than ever as we gather, as we serve. And, and if we would have had our eyes on the circumstances, it just went, whoa, because the Lord was pruning us. And he was pruning the church. But over and over as we would gather, as we'd be done doing recordings, as we'd be done doing drive-through prayer services and, and, and porch ministry and all those things, we would say, Man, it's like the, we, we feel the presence of God stronger than ever in this place. And there was a mass, mass exodus of people we love and, and miss. Less branches. But as you looked around, you saw more vine. More Jesus than ever. More Jesus. 
in our relationship with our city is the favor they gave us to continue reaching our city through different ways of ministry. More Jesus through just the people coming here and, 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 and in the droves just dropping off supplies to take to people they don't even know. That's more of Jesus. You know, when, when people were like, we need toilet paper, people showed up with toilet paper. Jesus was delivering toilet paper, hand sanitizer, the whole deal back then. The, 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 as, as we saw people responding to all the online stuff, all the online teachings and all the feedback that we got from all of that and the way that people were talking about their loved ones now basically attending our church through an online service and saying, my boss would have never come to this church, but they listen every week. My spouse would have never, but they're listening. And all of the conversion and all of what God was doing through the teaching of his word that continued to go out through every avenue that he allowed us, that was, that was a display of the branch. Jesus was on display. We saw Jesus in the funerals that we did for people who came knocking on our doors and calling us that didn't know us and said, we can't bury our loved ones. No one will, no one will, will, will even help us honor. And we're like, well, we understand. Let's get together. And, and we just, the, the places that we did funerals, the places that we did marriages, the pay, weddings, those kind of, the, just the creativity that God gave us. Jesus was on display in unique ways it was in obvious ways in the midst of a pruning season. It was obvious. We saw Jesus on display in the relief trips that we took, the disaster relief trips back to Alabama and, and, and Louisiana. We saw Jesus on display as we started to do a build-out here in our church for a new children's wing the week that COVID hit. And 99.9% .9 of the families that brought kids to our church would not bring their kids to this church for quite a long time. But we saw, we saw Jesus work through contractors and all of these trades who just out of mercy and sympathy, maybe even just whatever, God had put it on their heart to bless us. And this amazing, huge thing that we never even talked about to our church just happened while everybody was away. That was Jesus on display. As the church was being pruned, the vine was seen more than ever. Less branches, more vine, more Jesus than ever. Before long, where he pruned, there would be the budding, the lease, the fruit as countless new people were led here and, and, and others would begin to, to come back. And we would have the day where we would finally hear the pitter-patter of young feet down on that end as parents would come back and bring their children here and we'd be able to embrace them and teach them in the ways of Jesus. Jesus continues to be on display. The life of the vine working out through the branches, producing fruit that benefits all. Fruit can be soul-winning. The um, idiom of fruit is used over 60 times in the New Testament, and a couple of times it's used for soul winning. 
Jesus in John 4.35 says, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Souls are what Paul was referring to in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, when he says, I, I planned many times to come to you in order that I might have a harvest among you. So fruit can refer to you know, salvation, to conversion. But we also understand it refers to just spiritual fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. The love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the, the gentleness, the self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ produced in a follower of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Jesus desires to come into our life to take over our life. He doesn't want to have a guest room. He wants the keys to every room. <laughs> and he wants to produce himself, divine sap from the vine through every part of the branch. And when he does that, that work that he does in those that are saved, that continued work that he does when he takes more of Lance and then all of Lance is called sanctification. It's the process of making me more like him. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So life from the vine produces Christ-likeness in the branch. And that Christ-likeness is evidenced through spiritual fruit. Now again, we mentioned there's two kinds of branches. There's the fruitless branch, the one that bears fruit. The fruit-bearing branch is the one that is connected to Jesus. But the branch that, he, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You say, Lance, do we have a biblical example of that? Yeah, Judas is a great example of that. Judas was a fruitless branch. If you walked with Judas, as the disciples did, as Jesus did, he probably learned the same lingo. He, he, he sat down and nodded his head. Whenever they sang, because they would have sang together, each time they would have went into a, uh, a synagogue setting, they would have sang the psalms. They would have sang songs together. Judas would have sang with them. He would have been, yeah, 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 those are profound things that Jesus just taught, or the things that they learned. He would have been in agreement. So much that he walked with them all for three and a half years. Now, if you looked a little bit closer and you began to inspect the, the Judas leaves, I don't know if that's a weird saying, but inspect him a little bit, you go, hey, this guy's kind of greedy. And then if you just looked long enough and you watched him towards the end of his life, you'd go, hey, wait a minute. He seemed like he was connected all along. But it's quite obvious, as he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, he was not. Sadly, every generation and every church is going to have some people that are branches, but all leaves and no fruit. From a distance, looking connected, but with time, you're like, there's no fruit. 
no growing in the likeness of Christ, no fruit of the Spirit. In that book that I read on growing vines and growing a good vineyard, there were some tips on growing a healthy grapevine that I find rich with application. Number one, it, it talks about soil. The soil needs to be favorable to root growth. This means that the soil needs aeration. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to be loose. It needs to be fertile. It needs fertilizer. Soil must be healthy. It must contain, contain the minerals and the nutrients that are necessary for that plant to grow in. So you've got to cultivate it. You've got to remove any objects that might impede growth. They also said watering is key. There must be a set watering schedule in order for the, uh, the right amount of water in order to produce the right amount of fruit. There must also be a means for the access for water to overflow. That's an interesting consideration as well. There needs to be proper, proper drainage soil, proper drained soil. And so if you look at vineyards even today, oftentimes we'll go up north and we'll see them, and you'll see them planted, and, and there's swells around them, and oftentimes they flood the swell, but there's room for it to overflow. Poor drainage is going to produce poor root growth. Watering should continue until fruit is produced and begins to turn color, they say. It's interesting because we see in the Bible, we see God's word pictured as water. And it's wa likened to water for its cleansing ability. In Psalm 119, verse 9, it shows, it says again, we read this earlier, how can a young man cleanse his way but by taking heed according to your word? Jesus would say in John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you here. He says that. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word. In the Bible, we also see water used in correlation to the spirit of God. In John 7, 37, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living, of living water. So, it's a picture of just a correlation to the Spirit of God. It's interesting, too, in Psalm 1, that the godly man is the one who meditates in the law of God day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither. So soil is important. Watering is important. And sunshine is important. Grapes need lots of sunshine. They need to be exposed to the sun as much as possible. In the last 16 months, we have had, as, as Christians, we have had more distraction, more thrown at us. What I, what I labeled the narratives of the world that are intoxicating because they're toxic more than ever in our lifetime. And what the enemy's trying to do is just 
overshadow what we should be fixated on, which is the Son, Jesus. And this whole 16 months, as we look back over it, as I shared early on, you know, God made it very clear, very clear to us as a church, keep your focus on Jesus. Keep the focus of the church on the word. And you guys know we, we did that, and we're, can, what, are we te- what are we teaching tonight? We've kind of been doing that. And as we have, we've addressed the issues of our day. We're not afraid to talk to the issues of the day and answer the questions that are related to the issues of our day because we know that you're going to be going somewhere for those answers because you have questions. But as you've come here, we've brought your questions. We've dealt with your questions in, in light of God's word. And we're going to continue to do that. And if you are to be a healthy branch, if I am to be a healthy branch, we need to talk a whole lot about the vine. We do. We need a lot of sun. Without proper sunlight, they say that the proper ripeness will not take place in the fruit. One of the biggest mistakes is trying to grow grapes in areas where the sun is blocked. If you watch a wild grapevine grow, you'll notice they make all efforts they can to climb trees and shrubs, whatever they can to get to the light. Be sure the spot you choose to plant yourself is exposed a whole lot to the sun. Then training. Vigorous vines, they say, need lots of training. Some call these growth habits for a vine. The growth habits must be established early on in order for the plant to develop them. Remember, a healthy vine will sprout upward and outward. So they say you've got to design your trellis with that in mind. You've got to train the vine to go towards the sun. Train the branches to go towards the sun. And then I like this one. This was another interesting segment in the book. Proper spacing. Vigorous vines, they say, need lots of space. Don't plant the vines too close together. They will naturally grow towards fellow vines and interweave their branches. I don't know what that does to social distancing. I think it kind of blows it up in the church, but it just, you get the picture. It's nat. what we're doing right here is in our DNA. As, As the branches are connected to the vine, the sap, this is the nature of the vine that the branches would grow upward and outward and intertwine amongst themselves. That's natural. And then we talked about the pruning. And in the book, they say pruning is one of the most important aspects of growing a healthy vine. It's a must, it says. It's highlighted. It's in bold. Without pruning, the grapevine becomes overgrown. It becomes a tangled mess. 
the grapevines become overburdened and the grapes don't ripen properly. Disease sets in to the vine that is not properly pruned. The vines will weaken over time and eventually die. Pruning removes 90 to 95% of the previous year's growth. Just let that set in. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Keeps the vines in balance and aids it in controlling the crop and ripening the fruit. Pruning the grapevine is an art by the vine dresser. Then it talks about the crop. The ripe grape, these Vita culturalists say, is quite distinguishable from any grapes that have yet to ripen. They change on both the inside and the outside. There is no mistaking a healthy, ripened piece of fruit. Outwardly, they turn in color. You can see it. Inwardly, they become sweet. Remember we talked about on Sunday the contrast between the Sanhedrin, excuse me, the, the Sadducees that were, you know, coming against the disciples and telling them to never speak in the name of Jesus anymore. We talked about, we just did a contrast between them. The first thing that we heard about the, the early church, which the disciples who were now, you know, pulled in and put in jail overnight about, is that they were filled with the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace gentleness. They're filled with power. They're filled with the Spirit. But the council that was watching Jesus on display through the work of the early church, they were watching demon-possessed people be liberated. They were watching all of the sick people that were brought to the apostles healed. Talk about the vine on display, talk about, wow, you should be like so pumped and excited for your community that's placated by disease and demon possession, being liberated by this man. You would think they would be filled with awe and wonder, but it says they were filled with indignation. Peter was, Judas was filled with greed. And so we just drew that question, you know, what are we filled with? When you look at a healthy grape that is connected to a healthy, trained branch that is connected to a healthy vine, it's highly distinguished, highly unique to any other fruit. And it's sweet on the inside. How many Christians are you seeing the sweetness of Jesus come it, the, the fragrance of Christ and the sweetness of Christ exuding from them. I don't know, when they're talking about what's going on in the world. When they're talking about COVID. When they're talking about, I don't know, vaccines. What do you see in their eyes? 
Is that a healthy grape? <laughs> when you look in there, when they speak, is it sweet? So they change, both the outside and the inside, as they begin to have with the sap, the, 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 the vine produces through the branch, through now the fruit. It's, it's sweet. Outwardly, you can see the color. That's healthy fruit. Inwardly, it is sweet. Just look for the vines that sit low and settle. These are the ones with most of the fruit, and they will need additional support. I heard a guy teaching on this passage one year at a pastor's conference, and he says, the vine that bows the lowest bears the most fruit. Humility. Again, remember, each vineyard is planted with its intended use in mind. Harvest time is a time to celebrate. Celebrate the crop. Celebrate what the crop will yield. One more section, and we'll close, is on transplanting. I remember Lori and I, we love to, we love to garden and that kind of stuff. We love our plants, our trees and that stuff. We were talking to a, a guy in a garden shop recently, and we were talking about, I was talking about transplanting. And he said this, if you want to transplant, you need to, you need to get ready with all of these other nutrients, Lance. So you need to buy this vitamin and that vitamin and these nutrients and everything, and okay. And then prune back one inch for every foot of length. Okay. Be very patient, he said. It takes time to see if it takes. The last 16 months, there's been a lot of transplants going on. And now we look around and we're like, that took, that took, that took, that took. That. That's a beautiful thing to see. And God does that. I can elaborate on that, but it's getting late. We must tie this down. So the second half of the study we're going to get to in two weeks. So you guys know on Wednesday nights for a couple more weeks here, we will be teaching as we are tonight. And then next week we'll have hosts at the tables leading discussions on this Bible study. So hopefully you got a lot of good application tonight. And you can talk about this next Wednesday night. The next time I come back to this study... We're going to talk about our part in abiding in him. There's a whole, there's way more verses left in this, okay? So let's all stand. We'll have Scott come up and uh, lead us in another song. As he's doing that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the lessons we learned tonight. And we thank you for the folks that are here, those that are online. We always close our, our time just extending an invitation to all that are here and those online, to accept you. And if you're here or listening online and you're not a Christian and you've never come to Jesus on his terms and recognized him 
as his word, the word presents him to be, as he claimed to be, as, as God who took on flesh to die on a cross for you, to, to be buried and raised from the dead, proving that he is God, proving that he can deliver all of what he said he came to provide, which is forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life. And if you are at that point, and you're like, man, that's me. I, I, tonight, this is, I am so ready to accept Jesus. Well, tell him that. Say, that, just say that to him. He's here. He's listening. And, and, and come to him with a confessing heart. And that's to agree with God and, and say, God, I agree with you that I am a sinner in need of salvation. Just tell him that. And, and tell Jesus you believe in who he is, that he's God. He died on the cross for you and he was raised from the, the grave for you. And ask him to come into your life and to forgive you and to save you and to just ask him to fill you with his, his spirit right now and just have that heart-to-heart -heart with him and, and thank him for saving you. We love you, Jesus, and we do. And we thank you for grafting us in. Thank you that your life lives through us. Thank you for pruning us. We need it. Thank you for pruning our church. We need it. Thank you for the fruit, the budding, the transplanting. Thank you for just your continued grace, your second chances, your third chances, your 2,000th chance. Thank you for being so gracious. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. In the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from the throne of endless glory to a cradle
the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath, till the stone was moved for good, for the land that conquered death, and the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who come, but to the Father are restored, and the church of Christ was born. Then the Spirit in the flame. Now this gospel truth of all shall not kneel, shall not fade. By His blood and in His name, in His freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who is resurrected me. Praise the Father. Son. Uh-huh. 